0: How mature is the media supply chain and the content supply chain and what can our industry learn from other sectors dpp ceo mark harrison dived into this topic with a technology and business executive who's been chief technology officer and chief architect and technology director at two of the biggest retailers in europe to find out hello and welcome to the dpp podcast I'm Edward Qualtrough, Editorial Director here at the DPP, and I am pleased to introduce to you a recent conversation between DPP CEO Mark Harrison and Retail Technology Executive Mike Yorworth. Mark quizzes our non-media interloper about supply chain excellence, sustainability, managing multidisciplinary teams, and what retail can really teach other sectors. But first, I asked Mark to give us a 90-second introductory preamble about why he wanted our audience to hear from Mike, who has worked as CTO at Marks & Spencer, Group CIO at UK Multinational Bunzel, and Chief Architect and Technology Director at Tesco. Hi Mark, welcome back to the DPP Podcast, the first one that we are recording in our brand new studio. I'm just about to introduce the conversation that you had with Mike Yorworth. Could you describe, please, first maybe how you met Mike and what it is that he does that you think is really relevant to what our audience and network are are, are tackling in the industry?
1: Yeah, well, sure. Uh, I was at a dinner a few months ago uh, that had a number of senior people from a, a number of different sectors Uh, attending and I was sat beside Mike and as soon as he introduced himself uh, as being the CTO of one of the UK's most famous retail operations my ears pricked up because you know at that point we were at the planning stage for our media supply festival uh, in New York at the beginning of June and here I was sat beside uh, one of the architects of one of the most important and complex supply chains that operates uh, in Europe.
0: Fantastic. So what is it that retail has got to do with media? And his part of retail in particular was perishable items as well, not just T-shirts or cars or something like that.
1: Now, that's absolutely right. I mean, fresh food is a big part of his responsibility, making sure that uh, his company has got the right technology and infrastructure to get that food from the grower to the consumer uh, as fast as possible. Um, Well really that is actually what's so interesting about retail when you compare it to media because in the media industry the concept of supply chain is frankly only about six or seven years old, it's really new and we still only apply it to a part of our process which is the part after which content has actually being delivered to a broadcaster or content platform. But in other industries, when they talk about supply chain, they are talking about the whole supply chain, from the moment that uh, a particular good is created, all the way to the journey to consumer. It's a massive logistical operation and time. And the management of the inventory is of the essence. And that's where I think we've got a huge amount to learn from people like Mike.
0: Thank you very much. So I've heard conversations at our events recently from uh, broadcasters, from partners about the content supply chain. So I'm fascinated to hear this discussion too and see how that evolves in our industry as well and what they can learn from other sectors.
1: So Mike, thank you very much for joining us. We're really delighted to have you on the DPP podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell us a bit about your, your background and what's really driven and motivated your career to date. So, I've been in tech, in, in pretty much in retail in tech for the
2: last 32 years, which is frankly terrifying, it has to be said. Started my career, as many people in tech have uh, done, as, as a software engineer in Marks & Spencer, big um, international uh, retailer. It was very international back then. It's less of an international retailer now. Um, uh, did 10 years there, then 18 years at Tesco, another, another big um, UK and international retailer, then stepped out, of, uh, stepped out of retail into B2B with a global company called Bunzel for a couple of years during COVID, which was interesting. Nice. And then back to m um, and I've just done two years at m s as CTO. Um, and throughout all of my career, I guess what's, what's really driven me is, is a couple of things, really, is solving problems and satisfying customers. Now that's the great thing about retail, is that it's incredibly tangible. I can explain retail to my mum, which is good. Mm. Um, and you can do things and have an immediate impact on customers, and that's what's fantastic. And retail is, because it changes so much, there's so many problems to solve, because you never really
1: quite getting, get around to solving them properly. We'll come back to this a bit later in a bit more detail, but I, I'm curious to know whether, when one works in retail in a technology role, one inevitably finds myself really aware of the customer and the impact the business is having on the customer, maybe more than in some other sectors? I think it depends where you are in your career and where you, where you are in the
2: organisation and how the organisation has changed over time. One of the things I've really tried hard to do at m and is to make sure everything we do Right the way from somebody who's in the deepest bowels of infrastructure, everything they do ladders up to what the customer sees. So uh, I I talk about um, uh, continually improving the end-to-end experience for customers and asking asking the colleagues in my team to say, right, how do you think about how you improve that? So if you're in infrastructure, it might be... What you're there to do is to improve um, uh, to improve network speeds in our stores. Well, that impact, that, that helps customers because they can use the customer Wi-Fi better, or the tills in stores will work better. And and I think that's and then it, it's a lot easier for you to understand. Right, how does what I do ultimately impact the business?
1: That's a very interesting orientation you're inviting there because there must be a huge amount about running a highly logistical business. Like Mars and Spencer, which could lead technologists to just get very focused upon the infrastructure itself and making sure it works for its own sake.
2: Uh, yes, uh, uh,
1: there, there
2: is that danger,
1: and that's the uh, that's
2: the reason I think in the past when technology departments were very much a department on their own, as opposed to part uh, feeling genuinely part of the business. That, I mean and. Uh, having been in in tech for 32 years there's there's often been this talk of it and the business as being two separate things mm. and actually in the last probably i think in 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 big business in the last 5 to 10 years that's been very much emerging that technology is the core of the business and the core of change comes through technology and you know, and certainly in the last five years, as more and more organisations are talking about digital transformation, that is a that's a tech-enabled thing.
1: Well, maybe you're a bit ahead of media in this regard, because to be honest, in, in media and entertainment, there's still a lot of talk of the business actually as being a distinct entity. But uh, maybe we'll come back yeah. to that later. Let's talk a bit about supply chain. Okay. I think I think many people when they hear the term supply chain they either think about the automobile industry or they think about retail but particularly about supermarkets because even if people don't quite know exactly how they work they always assume it must be a very tightly coupled and highly controlled process of getting especially fresh food you know from grower to to customer So first of all are we right to think of it as being very sophisticated and tightly coupled
2: Uh, yes i mean i think for in in most large retailers supply chain is i mean it's it's absolutely the fundamentals of the business Um, and i think increasingly so i think of two things that retailers will be successful if if they're brilliant in supply chain and brilliant in customer experience assuming they're a multi-brand retailer because clearly then the other part of it is I'm selling the right product <laughs> sure yeah so if you step back and think about what retail is all about retail is really really simple um it's you 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 plan you buy you move and you sell you say so you plan based on what you think customers you know where are customers going where do we want to build our stores or how do we want to build our on, online or multi-channel and um, you know, capabilities how do we want to plan our loyalty programs and, and, and what resources we got so that we can then think about what we are going to buy for this season, next season, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, and, then, um, and then supply chain really takes over. So the manufacturing process into moving it through, uh, through from supplier through to consolidator, through into distribution center and then into stores or, or through online through fulfillment centers. And that's a very different uh, supply chain for Clothing and home products to, to right. particularly to fresh food, I mean, So long life food is, I mean, is is slightly different. But I it, it, I mean, it might be useful if I explained the fresh food yeah, process yeah. a little more because I think, I think that's the one that's that's most highly tuned and much most uh, and and has got. I mean, it's, it's uh, more useful to think about that in in um in optimization terms in particular so so if you if you look at um at a uh, fresh food food um supply chain for for an mns or a tesco they're large, largely the same in your head you probably have this view that mns decide sometime in in advance what they want to buy they get producers to buy it those producers deliver it to some big distribution center it sits there for a while um, and then we go and pick it and deliver it to stores and, and uh, hopefully you come into store and pick it up before it's gone. It's a lot more sophisticated than that. On a long running cycle, there is so there are kind of a three to six month cycle. There is a long running forecast cycle. So, so, so M&S will say to all their suppliers, this is broadly where we think our sales are going to be in the next three to six months. Therefore, this is what you need to manufacture. Right. Um, so that's kind of making sure that we've got you know we have got tomatoes in the ground or you know right. or, or on the vine which is clearly um for those of those in the UK at the moment is a bit of a challenge uh, and so uh, manufacturing will 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 start happening whether that be from the farmer or from you know f- through a manufacturing plant that, that that process will will start and then as sales and uh, sales uh, come through and we get closer to the date we expect the sales happen two two things really happen one is we refresh the the um the, the order that we're gonna ask for from the from the supplier, usually about twenty-one days out, and say, right, we think actually it's gonna look like this. So what was so I was gonna order a hundred items of this, I'm now gonna order ninety because mm-hmm. the shoppers are doing something different, or we think we think X or Y. Um then then we'll then we'll move on to um we'll start then taking into account two big, big things that will happen. One is promotions and two is weather forecasting. So the, the promotions and events uh, are things that, you know, fundamentally have a huge impact to, to retail, uh, but then weather does as well. Um, and so as you go from 21 days to the point of actually committing the order to the to the supplier, which will be today for the day after tomorrow for fresh produce, for, 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 for fresh produce, that process will be tuned and tuned and tuned based on sales that are happening and future predicted sales based on weather, based on events, and based on other activities. And weather's
1: so important because it changes people's behaviour so much.
2: Oh, fundamentally changes people's behaviour. So, you know, um, you go from, um, uh, it certainly in, in Tesco, you could you could look at a one degree change in temperature would have would have a marked impact. Uh, a t- a temperature going up by one degree in springtime would have a huge impact in whether how many fresh products you would sell compared to one degree down, just how many uh, uh, any soups and, and and those sorts of things.
1: That's really really yeah.
2: That's really really interesting. Uh, uh, the next really critical part of the process is is when you think about. Uh, you then think about how do I actually get the products to the stores? Uh, so uh, the MS have, have a number of of, uh, of of distribution centers. And for fresh produce, product arrives and leaves on the same day. It is never stored anywhere. So uh, you, you know, I think you mm. probably, I mean, I certainly, when I first went into retail, you, you, you think of uh, a distribution centre as a bloody great warehouse that's got racks and racks yeah. and forklifts all over the yeah. place. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, a, a, an M&S Fresh uh, distribution centre is a big empty shed with a big grid on it. And a product comes in, sits at some place in the grid, and then gets picked onto another place on the grid, which will be for outbound for stores. Um, and And this all takes place over the course of of a 24-hour period, product will come out, come in from suppliers during the day. Will get picked in the early evening and overnight, um, and then get shipped out um, uh, early, early morning the next day, um, out to stores. So, so that is a it's a pick to zero process every single day, and so the decisions on exactly what product goes where in what volume gets made at the point uh, at the latest possible point which will be when you're doing the pick um and that's entirely automated based on um on e- exactly sales and stock from yesterday
1: well that raises like so many questions for me i can't ask them all but there's there's two or three i really want to ask you about and the first is is risk because a major retailer particularly in food and in fresh food in this case, needs to have very, very high level of control of its supply chain. But it doesn't own all its supply chain. And actually, you are obliging other participants in your supply chain to, to bend to your changing demands. How the heck does that work? well for for most retailers they will have um, multiple
2: supply chain options so it won't be just one supplier of carrots it will be multiple right. suppliers of carrots i'm just randomly picking carrots as one thing or well, tomatoes is a good example of that so tomatoes in a, a tesco or an m&s there'll be 20 different varieties of tomatoes from probably Forty different suppliers. So actually, you can balance balance supply and demand off. And interestingly, I mean, in, and and there's always quite a little bit of slack in the system. So a producer will produce a hundred on expectation that we'll actually only need eighty, but they've got a bit of buffer in there. Then other parts of the market will take the other twenty items
1: later on at a lower cost. So. So the management of, of waste or potential waste yeah. must be highly scientific. Uh, uh, yeah,
2: absolutely. And so, so this is I mean, the, 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 the critical discipline in supply chain is, is it's a threefold problem really. It's, it's, it's managing working capital. So there's so much working capital um, held tied up in stock. And so um, in food retail, what you're trying to do is to get that down to as short a time as possible. So therefore, you know, lower your working capital. That is a much bigger problem when it comes to clothing and home um, uh, supply chain. Um, the second thing is then is, is is either waste or markdown. So how do I make how do I make sure that I have the, the right level of availability, but the minimum level of waste? So and your balance is between um, waste and markdown versus lost sales. So so what i want ideally i want 100 percent availability and zero waste which is clearly not possible it's an optimization problem and so um so retailers have got very very sophisticated in managing that optimization problem
1: and you talked about the way that these kind of cycles of demand are now in a very very short working to really short timelines have they been getting shorter? Is the industry more responsive than ever before?
2: Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. And actually, um, one thing that happened at Tesco, which I think was was, and, and more and more people are doing that doing this now, is as a response to um, for, to, ch- to changes in uh, the need to be more responsive, and as a response to uh, to the concerns around waste and cost associated with waste and and ultimately the environmental impact so um tesco started changing the way they bought some of their produce and said right what we will do is we'll adjust demand by changing prices based Ah. on what we get as opposed to saying we'll want this we'll 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 set the price and then expect
1: the demand will come that's that's really interesting my last question on this inevitably is is just how technologized has all this become it sounds to me as if uh, AI machine learning um, use of cloud technologies must now be key to these processes would that be true
2: yeah yeah I mean it's it's, it's absolutely fundamental i mean, I think Certainly when I was at, T- at Tesco in the early 2000s, they started building a, a team of mathematicians um, and statisticians to build out their supply chain capability, right. and then they started building on the back of that machine learning models to, to start to predict the implications of price promotion and weather and events on, on, um, on demand. Uh, and then, of clearly, that's then turned into the core of the technology. And that's, I mean, the core of that tech is very much cloud computing and machine learning. It's not quite into the AI level yet, mm-hmm. but very much machine learning. So, what what happened yesterday? Right, what can I learn about what I did yesterday, and therefore the, the feedback loop into that? And the great thing about retail is that, the, I mean, retail supply chain is got very short feedback loops, and you've got a very, you've got a
1: significant amount of data. And is this part of what actually ensures that a senior technologist like you will be very, very aware of the consumer? Because presumably, at an executive level, you must all be looking at the feedback loops. On a daily basis, yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, uh,
2: availability is uh, availability and waste are looked at on an absolutely on a daily basis, and every retailer will go through a process every single day, and it's quite it's quite a it's quite a manual process for most retailers in store of what's called gap scanning. So they will go, somebody will go around with a handheld device and scan to see where there are gaps on the shelves every single day, usually twice a day. And that then is a, a, a feedback loop to, well, actually, were sales were sales lower up higher than we expected, or was there some supply chain problem?
1: Okay, that takes us quite naturally into the question of, of data. Again, I would make the assumption that retail environments are absolutely driven by data and that the approach to both gathering and analyzing data is very, very sophisticated. Would that be true? I, I think for, for many retailers, it is, it is. And particularly
2: those ones that have um, a, some sort of loyalty program. So, so Tesco is a really good example of this, actually. So when I started at Tesco in, in the early 2000s, that was the early days of, of online ordering. And through the combination of, of Tesco Club Card, which is their loyalty program, and online ordering, we could then get an unbelievable amount of data about what customers were buying every single day, every single week, both uh, whether a customer came into store and purchased things or customer came on to, uh, came online. Um, uh, it, it was absolutely remarkable, was to the the depth of knowledge you can get. This is the kind of the stuff you used to hear
1: about, about if you looked at somebody's food receipt, you could predict what car they would try
2: absolutely well actually some uh, slightly slightly more more positively i know there's some there's been a recent study about um, looking at, at sales data and, and, and loyalty card data from, from some supermarkets and been able to pred- uh, reasonably accurately accurately predict whether or not somebody was getting a particular form of cancer based on the uh, the increased
1: use of certain pharmaceuticals Yeah. really really interesting so it it sounds as if what I know for a lot of businesses, not just in media but other industries too, that the the challenge of bringing together business data and consumer data and understanding how they relate to each other, that problem's been cracked in retail. Would you say?
2: I'm not sure it's been cracked, but I, I think it's pretty it's reasonably well understood, to to an extent. I'll get. I'll let me give you an example. Um, Tesco will have, in the early to kind of mid-2000s, I think it was, they bought a data analytics company they partners partnered with for a while called Dun-Humby, Um and, and through that uh, built out their, their data analytics and data science capability in, in the time before data science was actually a, you know, actually think, a real thing, yeah. I think it was. And so Tesco, Tesco had a model they called the customer DNA model and it was basically a propensity model. So it said, for all of the Tesco products we've got, what is the likelihood of, based on, um, on your, uh, on your, on the time of day and what other things you've got in your basket, what's the likelihood of you buying one of these things? And then they'd use that to promote items to you, and you use that particularly then to drive behaviour for your next visit. Mm. So whether that in the early stage that was, here's some coupons for you. And now it is, as you are going online, it's to tempt you with, with with nudges about price, and so they've shifted from bulk price reductions and promotions to specific individual pricing for you as an individual, hmm. and so that's really changed the way that they've they think about and can influence what the customer uh, what the customer does. Where I think retailers struggle is I mean, because that's a very transactional nature. Yeah. Where, where retailers struggle a bit more is is in uh, because um, is is when you think about the broader uh, the broader when am I likely to buy something that's that's maybe a bit a bit more infrequent. So clothing is a harder one to to influence, whereas food. We all buy food all the time. Most And pretty buy, much most, the same every week. Uh, yeah, most people buy broadly the same set of items, broadly on a weekly basis. So it's a lot easier to, to influence and, you know, subtly nudge. It's a much harder to get, there's much weaker signals from customers about when I'm going to buy my next shirt, my next set of trousers, or those sorts of things.
1: Right, so I guess then with those, those items that are bought less frequently and are more durable, actually the the challenge of relating what you think you're seeing in trends in demand to back into your supply chain and your your planning and your ordering that is still more complicated
2: yes it is and and it's it's a little bit i mean certainly in in clothing items it's more seasonal and uh, more seasonal and and more advertising driven actually demand so there's a lot more demand ahead of the signal to to guide people into MS, whether that be um, you know f- uh, um, traditional push advertising or a lot more obviously in social media advertising now a lot more social media influencing going on to drive yeah. behavior
1: yeah yeah okay there's quite a lot there that probably those of us working in the media sector would, would feel quite envious of so we could easily think that you're pretty much Got technology sorted in the retail space but when you get together with your fellow CTOs in retail what is it that you all worry and moan about and see as being continuing challenges
2: Uh, it's an interesting question uh, because retail is incredibly competitive and and particularly in the UK and therefore we we generally don't get together as a group Um, so I, I will talk to very I mean, it, it, retail is quite an incestuous industry, so we, we a lot of people move around. So I will tend to talk to individuals, but we don't get together as a group uh, very much. The only thing I can, the only area that, that technologists really get together is information security, and ah. that is that is where where people uh, where we are all trying to kind of you know. Uh, fight a common evil really and are trying yeah. to improve everything for everybody because it's good for the industry as a whole because you, because actually safer safer retailers um a, a safer environment for for um for online shopping is good for all um, and you don't want any one person to get hit because it's just going to impact everybody
1: interesting we must come back to that but um if you if you don't feel you're able to talk to your peers in other retailers, where over your career, have you been getting your kind of inspiration and ideas.
2: So m- mostly I get it from outside of uh, outside of the retail industry. Um, having been in retail for so many years, it's it's quite you, you can get very blinkered. Into thinking about um, right, well, I understand it all. I know it all. Actually, it's much easier to look at adjacent industries. Whether that be if you look uh, um, particularly if you're in retail, look upstream to, to consumer goods manufacturing, or you look um, you look into the the the, the third-party logistics organisations, mm. or actually if you look into into to banking as another area. So. Um, I remember when we started the journey of just coming back to supply chain. We were starting the journey of of of, um, of machine learning models for supply chain, and I I, I, I took quite a lot of uh, of learning from the investment banking industry and the and the monte carlo modeling that they were doing which is uh, which we started to then use... Uh, monte carlo in, modeling so it's to think about how you use probabilistic right. um, in terms of whether or not something is going to happen or not and so what is the propensity of of uh, this customer to purchase this item or the propensity for this stock to go up or down
1: So then to go back to that um, cybersecurity and privacy question how do retailers balance this sort of paradox you get in the consumer realm, which is on the one hand, if if you as a supermarket that I shop at don't appear to understand my preferences, I'm going to feel personally affronted, and yet at the same time, I want my data to, to be private to me.
2: Yes, I, I mean I think it it's a it's an absolute right that everybody should expect that their data is private, and I know not everybody has been managed to 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 uh, to meet that that right all of the time, but um, all retailers absolutely drive that within all of the things they do to make sure that um, you know protected by now by by statute and governance. Um, so all retailers will really be driving to right. I'm going to make sure I keep your data safe. Maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but I think of it as a, pre, a quid pro quo. If I could say that a, a quid <laughs> pro quo that is. So. Um, I, I, I get a better service. I get better pricing. I get simpler journeys, um, and in return, you get to know a bit more about me. Um, you get to know what I buy and when I buy it. If if I had to look at uh, in in other in other industries. Google knows a lot more about me than M&S or Tesco ever will do mm. because M&S and Tesco is still relatively transactional mm. whereas Google is knowing about everything I do all the time. I still, I value what I get from Google and I value that that quid pro quo because it makes
1: my life so lots, so much simpler. Well, I would agree with you, but do you feel that the fact that consumers generally that has actually been evidenced very well because you don't you don't really hear that acknowledged by regulators, do you? Um, I think there there has there
2: was there are always people who will say uh, loyalty programs are, are evil, and I will not give any of my data, um, and uh, and I mean, that's absolutely fine. There is no you know everybody can shop both online and in store without using any loyalty mechanisms. I, I think the, um, uh, and, uh, and now through, through the, the general ta- data protection regulations, certainly in the EU, that has driven the ability for your data to be absolutely your data and the right to be for- forgotten, the right to understand what data that we are holding for you um, is much more paramount um so so I, I think it's i think it's moved into being a a more well understood area. I think it will always be i think it will there will always be a balance between the the, the you know the those those who want to gain all of the they they want to gain all of the benefits without sharing yeah. all of the data
1: yeah versus what the retailers really want yeah let's talk about environmental sustainability. You personally have a passion in this space, I believe, don't you? What 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 drove that passion? So the environment's
2: been a, a passion for mine for, for years and years and years. I, I mean, I, I as an example, I've been a vegetarian since my goodness me, um, for at least half my life now. Um, my son is twenty-seven, and it's before he was born. <laughs> um, and um, because I, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen the changing nature of 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 uh, the climate, the planet, biodiversity, I'm and I'm a very outdoors person. I love to be outside in the mountains and the hills, um, and you see the change and the impact it's having. Um, and, and so that's what's driven me to think about the environment more and more in um, in all of
1: the businesses I've been in. But you've already found that actually that personal passion is now aligned quite well with some of the things you've needed to do professionally because It's now becoming important for major retailers to demonstrate that they care about the environment. Would that be true? Uh, uh, Yes. I mean, I think
2: these things go in waves. I remember uh, on the back of of Hurricane Katrina, there was a big wave of, of change across the globe actually um, around uh, you know kind of green greenness and there was a there was a a big drive to to carbon reduction or at least knowledge of carbon and things like that Um, and then and then the 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 banking crisis hit and then everybody started thinking about other things and then we came back again to to, to the the late teens and and started to see more climate impacts and started to then see a couple of things happened over the last few years, which I think have been a bit of a watershed, really. One was, um, uh, and whether whether this is climactic or population related, I think is an interesting question, and we might might delve into that one. I don't know. I think COVID has been a big catalyst for people thinking, mm. "Crikey, we are doing something, something to the to the environment generally in the broadest sense of the word." And secondly, I think particularly in Europe the 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 extreme heat uh, that we've had over the last couple of years in in continental and in Europe and in the UK, a lot more people have started to go oh, right. This is this is now really significant and started to change, um, and therefore they've started to then see right, um, and they've started to see the impact or, or, or hear about the impact that. Uh, their choices are making on on the climate, whether that be through uh through the impact of animal agriculture or the impact of fast fashion or the impact of 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 just purchasing few f- food for things like um the, the monoculture and and palm oil and things like that.
1: so so weirdly we've come to a place where consumers who in the past never cared or needed to care really about. Your supply chain suddenly actually to take an interest because they're starting to think through themselves what some of the implications are for how things journey through that chain. Yes,
2: yes, and I think the the, the internet in general and data in general. Back to your point about data, data has become a, it's become a lot more transparent now about yeah. where things are going you know, coming from, and, and more and more. More and more businesses are giving you a QR code to go. Right, would you want to see the provenance of this thing? Where did this come from? Or you know, kind of what M&S would describe as behind the label, who the manufacturer are. And I think that's uh, and that starts into to make people a bit more um, a bit more aware of. Well, okay, well, if that happens, what's the impact of X or Y on that?
1: So, is a major retailer like m s now in a position where it feels that it needs to kind of almost get ahead of the consumer because it can see there's going to be more and more interest in this space and it needs to be ready to be able to explain itself, if you like.
2: I I think think retail in general is... um, uh, uh, I don't know if you've read um, An Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. If you haven't, I recommend it. Um, But uh, a lot of people talk about winning in business. And his point is... Um, and I absolutely agree with it. It's actually business is not about winning; it's about continuing to play the game because it's an infinite game. Mm. And what you and so the only way of succeeding in in retail is by having a sustainable business model in whatever way shape or form that that is. And more and more, that is becoming a environmentally sustainable business model because that is the only way you're going to survive for the long run. Yeah. Uh, and so. MNS I think are uh, because we own we, we're a, mostly a single brand business, it's much easier for us to have control of the end-to-end supply chain and start to make really fundamental change to the, the product specification um, and to the selection and the manufacturing process so that we can drive to things like driving to net zero driving to reduce waste so interesting and those sorts
1: of those sorts of areas yeah yeah how that control starts to become a real benefit for the business that's interesting uh, now you did refer earlier on to kind of being technology businesses um, you know, retailers being technology businesses um, is that how they now see themselves and to what extent do they feel the need um, to have their own technical capability? To what extent do they look to their partners and and to outsource for it? Uh, so, so I, I think I
2: think the the most enlightened retailers I think in the way you just described as you know they would consider themselves um, as at least technology enabled, if not technology driven. Um, and, and so, a, a lot of a lot of retailers, if you go back. Let's take twenty years. Twenty years ago, I think a lot of retailers would have described. Uh, they wouldn't have called it tech. They'd have called it IT, and mm. they'd have said IT is a. It's a cost center. It's uh, mm. it's a it's a vital support function. So like finance and HR, and and many many companies still think like that actually, but the most enlightened have realised that actually it's a enabler. It's a creator of capability, um, and it's a driver of transformation of the of not only the way the business operates but the way the business engages with engages with customers and i think more importantly it's a creator of business agility and that's the that's the thing that I, I mean in an increasingly uncertain world that's the thing that will set company a and company from apart from company b
1: that ability to respond and does that then necessitate technology teams to be integrated do you have to have your product teams integrated with your infrastructure yeah yes
2: yeah. so, so I think more and more companies are recognizing that the that the big waterfall programs of the past where I set out on on a, on a, on a plan done um, in a technology department or an IT department for a couple of years with a, a big consultancy um, coming out with an outcome that Actually, as 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 not delivered what you expected it, because the world has moved on. So in, and there's a really good there's, there's loads of examples of. Uh, I mean, I've I've been involved in many of them, I suspect <laughs> as well, of of programs that sudden they they become cut. They 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 get called the SAP version X program or the. Or the new buying system program, or something like that, yeah. where you forget what you were actually trying to do in the first place, yeah. um, and and so the corollary, the, the the alternative to that is then is saying, well, what my aim is to create small multidisciplined product teams that are absolutely fundamentals of the way that the business as a whole operate um, and what they're doing is working in small, in, in short cycles driving continuous improvement and towards um, uh, better customer outcomes and you think about the outcome and not the technology and, and everybody focuses on the outcome.
1: And are there examples in retail then of such teams? Yeah. being created and working successfully together
2: yeah absolutely so if I look into MS, almost all of the teams that we have are those tightly coupled um, you know, um, product teams so small product teams that are working on an in agile sprints um, continually improving multidisciplinary multidisciplinary a combination of um, a, a product management capability which might be a Uh, somebody from the functional side of the business, you know outside of tech, um, some user experience, some data and analytics and core engineering from program management, all of that together in a small team. Some of those will be people who will be there for a bit but mostly that's a core team of product management, engineering and program management who will be there for the long run, not just for the few months of the program but for a few years as they continually improve. Now
1: many have seen that that's a great model for many businesses for some time, but generally, people say trouble is it's almost impossible to do. So what enabled you to do it? How did you manage to achieve the business change to make that happen? So, so I, I, don't, I
2: think the, the, the scale of the change is, is dip, largely dependent upon um, what you, um, how you think about technology within the business. If you think about, if you continue to think about technology as being a cost to be minimised, then you'll you'll think about doing a thing, spending it, uh, spending some money to do something, and then sweating that asset for as long as but the possible. The you here
1: is actually the, the executive, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So so but you, so what what you have to do is to think about how do you think about technology as enabling continuous improvement and and innovation and uh, and an inspiration to, to the business and therefore ultimately transformation uh, um, and and so and so you have to get your so the and the mindset of the business as a whole has to change to be right we are working together with technology to make things better as opposed to we are we are doing uh, um we're doing a project that the technology team are doing, and then they're going to come back and complete it. Yeah, um, and and the 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 next part, and, and so the historical nature of the way, um, um, re, um, I mean, I think all businesses have thought of technology a bit like this. They've thought of IT as being a, a parent-child relationship. Yeah, you know, it's like you know. I, 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 but the, the plumber comes along and yeah. fixes the, you know, I've got a leaking leaking pipe, I'll get a plumber wrong and I'll fix it. Yeah. Actually making that an adult adult conversation is saying we've we've all got a perspective on how the business as a whole needs to run. Um, and so changing both the 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 understanding from a business perspective of that, an executive down perspective, but also a, a tech team up perspective as well and empowering teams and, and encouraging particularly teams own, to own an end-to-end product and for the product manager to feel like they are the CEO of that product. They have the P&L of that product as much as they can do. That's the real essence of it, is empowering teams to be brilliant rather than telling them what to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. everyone
2: has to be able to be a grown-up, don't they?
1: Yeah. So we, we must finish, Mike, but just finally, um, just tell me, if, if you wanted to pass on kind of one thing from your industry to others as a word of advice of, of something you feel that the retail sector really has done rather well over the last few years, what would it be? Um, I, I, I think I'd probably pick, pick two things, if I may.
2: Uh, the first thing is, is, um, is sharpening the saw. There's a continuous improvement um, drive in all supermarket retailers um, because th- there is always that balance between a very large quantity of people having to do work in a very large quantity of locations, i.e. people in stores picking product or putting it away. And the same is true in, in distribution. Um, and um to, with with the drive to to then to to growing sales so you're always in that balancing act um, and therefore what you're always trying to do is to drive efficiency and effectiveness every single day um, and and a lot of that comes through technology change the second thing is is customer centricity back to what I said right at the beginning is 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 all retailers are really, really focused on what they can do to continually improve the shopping trip for their customers and driving that the way through the organisation. Fantastic, Mike.
1: It's been a real inspiration talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: That then was Mark Harrison speaking to Mike Yorworth and it was a fascinating conversation about all things supply chain and more. I hope you enjoyed their discussion and similarly I hope you are subscribed to the DPP podcast as we will continue to explore this subject and all the biggest challenges in media in upcoming episodes.